Many people will die and end up in hell thinking that they're going to go to heaven. And they'll end up in hell because they never understood the truth that their sin is what has stopped them cold from going to heaven. They can never, ever, ever go to heaven because of their sin. Let's open our Bibles this evening, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. To prepare our hearts for the table of the Lord, I've chosen this chapter, and I'd like to offer a few comments. I have a little story for you also. You know, some wonder why we, uh, we have the table of the Lord. Some wonder what it's about. Well, in Matthew 27, we have here the, uh, the mockery, the kangaroo court, the, the worst crime ever committed in the history of man. And that's the crucifixion the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to pick up in verse 24. And follow along with me, please. And you folks at home, have your Bibles open, please. Follow this along, and I'll do my best to read the narrative. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made. A tumult is a swelling of noise. The crowd was getting out of control. That's a tumult. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now even though Pilate said those words, he wasn't innocent. Every human being is guilty. Verse 25 then answered all of the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What an unbelievable thing to say. Then released he Barabbas unto them. Barabbas was a, a murderer, basically. And when he had scourged Jesus, that means he was beaten within an inch of his life with a horrible, horrible whip. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown, the word plaited means to braid, to braid. And so they took the, these um, horrible thorny branches and they weaved them, they braided them into a crown. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Of course, the reason they did that was because he was so physically weak. Normally, the condemned had to bear their own cross. 
And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull. That's what Golgotha means, is a place of the skull. Sort of looked like a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. Now that would have been a numbing kind of a drug, something like a Tylenol. And they weren't being merciful to him. The idea of it was to prolong the agony, to prolong his time on the cross. This is what they would do. They would give the condemned this numbing sort of a drink and they would drink this and it would sort of take away some of the pain so they would last longer on the cross. That was the purpose of it. They weren't being compassionate at all. So when they, they offered him this, it says, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Of course, they wouldn't have, you know that. If he had come down from the cross, they would have screamed murder. They would have called for the guards. He's escaping. If he had come down from the cross. If he had come down from the cross, there would have been no salvation. You and I wouldn't be saved. There'd be no church. Verse 43, they continued, they said, He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, that would be approximately 12 noon, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. That darkness has been confirmed by men who lived back in those days, in the first century and the second century as well. Men who had knowledge of the times and they confirmed that there was darkness. Verse 46, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard this, said, This man calleth for Elias. That's the Old Testament prophet. Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. So they thought this was a possibility. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. 
And behold, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. From what I read, that veil was like 20 feet high. Men could have ripped it from the bottom up, but only God could rip it from the top down. Sort of reminds you of, of when a man was in agony and he would grab his, his uh, clothes and he would rip them like this. They'd rip from the top down. And here, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. This means after the manner of his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went for you and for me. That song we sang just a moment ago, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's true. He could have called more if he wanted. And they would have come and cut all of the bad guys down, cut them right off. They could have come and rescued him. He could have come down off that cross. But he stayed there for you and for me. That's why Jesus did it. He willingly gave his life. It was the blood of God that flowed down that cross that day. It was the blood of Almighty God paying for our sin. No other blood, human or animal, could atone, could pay for our sin. Our sin is so great and so unfathomable. It's, it's beyond comprehension, our sin. Only God could do this job. And that's why Jesus came, to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save. And he did that on the cross for you and for me. Before the Lord Jesus died, he spent the night before with his disciples in an upper room and he told them what was going to happen. And he gave them a little picture that was to represent him. And we've had that picture now for 2,000 years. And that picture is just as crystal clear tonight as it was for those disciples that night. And they didn't even really understand it all. They understood later. But if you would turn, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 11. We have this picture explained for us. Now, it begins here in verse 23. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Christians at the church of Corinth, and he said, For I have received of the Lord. Paul got this directly from Jesus. He didn't get it from any of the apostles. He got it directly from Jesus Christ. 
For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. If Jesus had not have come to earth and died on the cross, we would have nothing but an eternal hell waiting for us after we die. That is the truth. But what our Lord Jesus did was something that no one else could do. He suffered, bled, and died in our place. And on the cross, He suffered what we owe in hell. You know, not long ago, I came across a true story that happened during the Holocaust in the Second World War over in parts of Europe that were overrun by the Nazis, Hitler's Nazis. A man by the name of Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and their two sons were arrested together with Rosenberg's mother and father for the crime of being Jewish. That's why they were arrested. And they were taken to a Nazi concentration camp. It was a labor camp. And the rules were simple. As long as you can do your work, you'll be allowed to live. But, if you become too weak to do your work, you will be put to death. Now they didn't feed them very much. And they worked them very hard. Rosenberg watched as his mother and father were marched off to their deaths. He knew that probably the next would be his youngest son, David, because David was a frail child. Every evening, Solomon Rosenberg would come back into the barracks after each day of hard labor. He would search for the faces of his family. And when he found them, they would huddle together, they would embrace. And they would thank God for another day of life. Well, one day, Rosenberg came back and he didn't see the familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua. Joshua was in a corner. He was sort of curled up, huddled up. He was weeping and he was praying and Rosenberg said, Josh, tell me. Tell me it isn't true. And Joshua turned and said, It's true, Father. Today David was not strong enough to do his work, so they came for him. But where's your mother? Asked Mr. Rosenberg. Oh, Dad. He said, when they came for David, he was afraid. He cried. And so Mama said, there's nothing to be afraid of, David. And she took him by the hand and went with him. And this illustrates a mother's love. 
Here we see a mother's love so strong, a love so strong that it chooses to give up her own life so her child can be comforted. And we sort of have a picture here of the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrificial love he had for you and for me. And to keep us from fearing death, he went before us. He met death head on. And then he returned from the grave so we would have hope in his resurrection. And the scriptures say, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave us this picture to remember his death. Now folks, we don't serve a dead hero. We serve a resurrected, victorious king. But this same king at one point became the suffering Savior, the Lamb of God, for you and for me. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of his sacrifice that we can have hope of eternal life. Eternal life begins the moment we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts. If a man or woman, they may be really nice, but if they've never actually received Jesus Christ by faith into their hearts, they have no hope of eternal life. Some people may think they're going to heaven. And we would ask, well, on what basis? What do you base that on? How do you know? What makes you think you're going to heaven? And they usually answer something like, well, I've done the best I can in life. Well, I've never murdered anyone. Well, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I've gone to church. I've prayed. I've read the Bible. I've given money. I keep the golden rule. I think I'm just as good as the next man. They give answers similar to that. How sad. You know, some people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. 18 inches. At least according to the old evangelist D.L. Moody, he said many people will miss heaven by about 18 inches. And he went on to explain what he meant by that. He said the distance from the head to the heart. That's what he said. And some people will think they're going to heaven because of some sort of head knowledge. But the truth is, Jesus is not in their heart. This is the whole secret of getting to heaven. Christ died for our sins. He was dead and buried and rose again. He provided salvation, but it's like sitting on the table or sitting on the shelf. It does us no good until somehow we can get a hold of it. Like the cure for cancer. If you had a dreaded lung cancer, boy, that's a sentence of death right there. And if someone rushed in with the cure for cancer, the cure for your type of cancer, there it is in a bottle and all you had to do was pull off the stopper and drink it and it would cure you. Would you take it? Some would. Some won't. They'll say, no, it, it's probably good for someone else, but it, it wouldn't help me. And then they would die. And whose fault would it be? Would it be the fault of the one who came up with the cure? No. Would it be the fault of the one who brought the cure to that dying person? No. It would be the fault of the dying person. 
many people will die and end up in hell thinking that they're going to go to heaven. And they'll end up in hell because they never understood the truth that their sin is what has stopped them cold from going to heaven. They can never, ever, ever go to heaven because of their sin. But, 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 I've never murdered anyone. Neither did Adam or Eve. And yet look what sin did to them. It only takes one sin. That's all it took. One sin to ruin things for Adam and Eve. And what was that sin? It was disobedience. Have you ever disobeyed? Don't tell me you haven't. God went to great trouble to give us Ten Commandments. When you think of it, we haven't done so well, have we? We've taken the Lord's name in vain. Sure, you say, who hasn't? Yeah, that's the point. Right? We've taken things without permission. We've looked on other people with lust. And we've broken those commandments. We've stomped them under our feet. There's no way God can allow us into heaven. That sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. What am I going to do? That's why you need a Savior. In times like these, you need a Savior. You need the only one who can actually do something about your sin. Listen, if you had a plumbing problem in your house and all your pipes were leaking, you might call the pastor. The pastor might come to your house and look and say, I'll pray for you. But the pastor can't fix your plumbing problem. You probably need one of the best plumbers in all of the, the city to fix your problem and your sin problem. A pastor or a priest or the Pope himself cannot help you. Only one person can help. That's Jesus Christ who died for your sin. He's the one who died for every sin you've ever committed, every dirty, rotten thing, every creepy thing. He paid for. He's the only one who is able to forgive sin. And that's why every man, woman, and young person needs a Savior. That's why we're trying to go into all the world with the gospel. That's why we're trying to let unsaved people know, sir, ma'am, you need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ to wipe out your sins and come into your heart and be your Savior. That's the only way you'll get to heaven. When you die, this is a rather crude way of putting it, but when you die, God's going to look to see if Jesus is in you. And if he is, welcome into heaven. If he's not, you can't come in. I know it's not exactly biblical to put it that way, but you know, in a rough manner of speaking, that's sort of what's going to happen. And how many people in Bible-believing churches who come every week are still not saved and if they died, cannot go to heaven? Isn't that just the worst thing? Oh, folks, that's why we need to be much in prayer for lost folks to be saved. We do, we do, we really do. Well, this communion service, we're going to continue this, but we'll have a word of prayer right now. And now is the time. If you're saved, if you're born again, 
You know Jesus is in your heart. You know because you've received him. You know you're on your way to heaven. Now is the time to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Is there anything worldly that shouldn't be there? Have I hurt someone with my tongue? Have I taken something that doesn't belong to me? Have I not made restitution? Am I living in a worldly way? Am I letting my eyes and my ears go to worldly things? Now is the time to confess these things before the Lord. So let's do this now. Let's all bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.